Hey everybody, this is Sean. This is Kevin. And here we are with another episode of Shot by Shot. This is the second and final episode starring our very good friend Daniel Warren Johnson. You may know Daniel from his comic books Extremity, Murder Falcon, and most recently Wonder Woman Dead Earth. And uh, we started out last week going through his comic Au Revoir. But now we get to actually drill down into some of the influences that Daniel has absorbed and puts into his magnificent and chaotic fight scenes. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. This one is a little nuts and bolts. We get to find out even down to the the type of pins and brushes that he and Brian use. Learning a little inside baseball that's here. But we also talk about some great movies, some things that influenced him cinematically and uh, where he, his art style was formed. This really cool conversation. It's funny, Kevin, because we were talking about the raid and I realized I haven't seen a fighting movie as good as The Raid. And I know people could say John Wick, but we were talking about all these movies and we really have been blessed with just how diverse and how, I don't even know how to describe it, how batshit crazy all the action movies have been specifically at the turn of the millennium. Right, yes. The Raid definitely, I think, would be considered the one that kind of brought that back maybe to some degree. Uh, definitely uh, heavily influenced a lot of movies that, you know, like the John Wick series specifically. Um, you know, it, it definitely owes a lot, I think, to to Gareth Edwards and his Raid franchise. All right. Well, we'll get into the conversation right now. Enjoy. You talked about some of your favorite creators. So, what are your favorite shots? Do you have any favorite panels that were especially instrumental in paving the way to your career? Oh, totally. First one is uh, Masamunashiro's Appleseed manga <clears throat> of the Dark Horse reprints. There's a panel where Brarios, the robot character, grabs a rogue robot's head and smashes it into a wall and, like, grinds it into the, like, the the wall. Like, it's like a cement wall, and he just takes the robot's head, smashes it into it, and scrapes it along the cement wall. It's just amazing. Yeah, yeah, and that's 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 when right after that shot, he pulls out his like cord and and sticks it into the <laughs> robot's brain and downloads yep. the information. <laughs> that that was sick, man. Dude, incredible! Has still affects me to this day. I printed it out and put it like on my desk. Um, uh, so there's there's that one. Uh, definitely. Uh, in BPRD, does James Heron again? He did uh the Long Death with the big monster fight between the Wendigo and Captain Daimo? Di- Daimo? Yeah, the the Wear Jaguar. Yes. Yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. They had a final showdown and they basically start really facing off. There's it was a three issue mini series. And there's a panel in the third issue where they're both fighting each other and it's just this huge splash page. And kind of like I was saying before, perfect marriage of American moment like you said brian the moment of that intensity but with the motion and dynamics of uh you know manga wait is this the one where like the wendigo is kind of launching itself at daimo and it has blood just splattered all over the front of its chest i think so it's a it's a splash page gotcha um it's not like a it's not like a it's not really like a storytelling page definitely a moment but it was just hugely affecting to me that whole issue really every 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 moment from that issue changed my life. And then there is a panel. I don't remember if it's in volume one or volume two of the reprint that um, was put out, but 
uh, Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind, um, there's oh, a wow. panel of, yeah, there's a panel of Nausicaa coming back to her soldiers after they think she's been killed. And uh, there, it's just a panel with no text at all. It's very small. It's just a square panel in the middle of the page. And it's just a panel of her embracing her her like her soldiers and it's so moving it makes me cry like every time oh um, man man she, she just tells you lo- she loves her people so much and they love her and it's just was said so cleanly in that one image yeah yeah and and as as an artist man the the coolest thing to me is the wordless panel because that's that's really your your opportunity you know, it's it, it's like, you know, when you see those um, amateur singers decide to do a Whitney Houston song or or somewhere over the rainbow or something like that. It's just like, well, this is my time to do that, to hit that high note because I've got a silent panel. You know, and, uh, and those those are so much fun. And uh, and when when an artist really jumps in there and uh, and, and makes that moment speak more than any bit of dialogue you know that those are the coolest panels and that's something that you know kind of drives me crazy about american comic storytelling is there's not a lot of room for silent panels um you know it's and it's not it's not the writer's fault it's uh the it's 20 pages for a a month's fault you know there's no there's no room for a breakdown of a moment you know there's not enough there's not eight pages to devote to two people embracing um you know, it's just not the this. It's not in the culture here to be able to ex- even accept that, as like you know. Yeah. Well, I, I paid four dollars for this comic, and there's eight pages of it are p- two people hugging. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and that's that's the thing that used to get me so jazzed. And one of my favorite mangas of all time is uh, Blade of the Immortal. And Hell yeah. love that. And then, <laughs> dude, and that's exactly what you're talking about. Where where there would be moments where where it's just like you know what. I'm going to reel off the next 10 pages and no one's going to say anything. <laughs> you know, yep. it's, like, yep. it's just so awesome because, uh, and, and I think when those, when those are done uh, right, I think Shiro is fantastic at this. And Otomo's um, just amazing. Also, I think those moments, they don't embed themselves as art. They embed themselves as experience. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think as as an artist, you know, we we have pretty good memories as far as art is concerned. But when a moment is done right, we don't even think of the art. We think of what was happening. You know, what people were feeling. You know, what was going on. What was at stake. That that to me is the prize of the storyteller is uh, is is just creating that magic moment. Yeah, right on, man. Well, I mean, I think there's another component of your art that I love, and that's the sheer adoration of monsters. <laughs> we don't get that. And like, it's true. We don't get that as much because it was such a staple of Golden Age comics, but it's not something we see necessarily today. Or just the pure body horror. I feel like there's a little bit of Cronenberg in there or The Thing. Did any of those cinematic uh, tropes lend themselves to your creation of characters like Magnus Chaos or, uh, you know, Shiloh, when you see him kind of get out of his robotic form, it's all tentacles. It's amazing. I don't know. I can't really say. I'm not a huge horror fan because I have trouble sleeping at night if I watch it because I'm a wimp. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. 
if it's like kind of tongue in cheek, I can totally handle it. And things like uh, like the thing, you know, that's it, it's so out there, you know. And part of that is because of the technology at the time, but there's also this tone about that movie where it's just a lot more digestible for me. And I do like the comic bookiness of monsters being so over the top that I almost I know that they're a stand-in for something else, you know. Most of the time, I'm just trying to gross myself out when I'm designing these things. And usually that works. Uh, I'm trying my very best to not repeat myself with my designs and, you know, treat each one, each new monster that comes onto a whatever page, um, the same amount of care. But, you know, I wish there was more time for concept art and comics, but, you know, the, the beat goes on. Yeah. Well, and, and speaking to that same thing, I think um, uh, particularly in, in extremity, there's a there's a lot of times where, I mean, you're drawing just some really ugly ass people. <laughs> so, um, but but it's kind of it's kind of cool because, you know, you're you're doing some incredibly just ugly and sometimes gross looking people, but you're managing to oftentimes imbuing them with so much humanity. You know, and, and, and that, that's that's kind of, a, I think, a, a neat thing that, um, you know, there's a, a couple of people, uh, Cully and I always talk about how uh, Fellini and, and Bergman and, and some of these people, they're, they're able to just do these ugly people, but, like, making someone who's grotesque be, like, a gentle giant, that, that's, like, such a, such a tough little thing to pull off. I will say um, you've definitely got me on like drawing pretty women because I can't do that shit to save my life. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) You should see my sketchbooks, man. They are chock full of me trying to draw pretty faces. I it's like against my DNA. I I will literally like copy. I'll like pull up an Adam Hughes drawing and I'll be I'll like measure it out. I'm like, how is this working? I don't understand. (laughs) I can't, I can't figure this out, especially women's faces. I hope this doesn't come off as sexist. I just, I suck at them. I'm terrible at them. I, I uh, think you did a great job on Jake's girlfriend. I, I would disagree. Thank that you. you she, thank she's you. very beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, and boy. I, I, I think um, it's kind of funny because, because I think even, even with um, the way that you illustrated Kea, I'm not sure if she's pretty or if, her character is pretty. <laughs> you know, sure, so, sure, sure. So, so I think, I think you actually really, really nailed it with a uh, with with that one. Thank you. I think mm. you know a, a big part of it is like when I'm in the moment, like I'm I'm telling a story about the character. It's not about making them look pretty, and I think you you guys are right in that. It's more like when I really gotta like nail home like a commission or a cover or something, and it just has to look right. And I just, it looks like somebody threw broken glass on the page. It just makes no sense to me. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, um, and I, I don't know if you have this, but uh, but it always kills me. If I'm doing pages, and I'm just going through pages and having a good time doing pages, and then I have to do a cover, it always just, it, it, it's, it's like a train crashing, you know, because it, it's such a completely different mindset to be in mm. to do uh, a, a cover or a commission piece versus doing doing pages i mean it, it it seems like you have to kind of go okay well let me stop being that artist and try to forget everything that that person thinks about 
and then become this completely different art. I mean, the goals and everything are, are just completely different. I can relate to that in a little bit with one difference in that, like covers aren't too bad for me because I always fall behind on them and I need to get them done in the deadline <laughs> like the next day. And oh, wow. know, my editor, my editors are like, Oh, this needs to be in previews like uh, tomorrow. So can we get on this please? Um, Man. <laughs> what, what really kills me is trade paperback covers. Those murder me. Oh my oh, gosh. They're yeah. Because when I make like a regular cover for like even issue one or two or three, whatever, I know eventually those are going to go into a comic book bin. They just they kind of get lost within the 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 you know the thousands upon thousands of covers in the world. But when you know you're drawing something that's going to be like on a Barnes and Noble bookshelf for like at least five years, it's just really intense. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's like um, uh, th- there have been a couple of times where where people have have given me as gifts like these absolutely wonderful 100% cotton like hand sewn leather bound sketchbooks and, and it's just like I'm not going to draw anything in that <laughs> you know? because, get this man some printer paper <laughs> yeah it's like you know it's like I really feel that oh okay if it's going to be in this then you know this is this is going to be like Leonardo da Vinci's like you know um, tablets, you know, it's like this is important, and uh, and nothing I do is important enough to put in this book. Bro, I got you. Here's what you do: you draw your sketches on printer paper, and then you cut them out with an exacto knife, and you glue them in the nice sketchbook. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> well, wait, Daniel, Daniel, you do that, but you also do something else that blows my mind. You have translucent, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is it Ben Day dot? like cells that you put on your actual commissions oh the um the the screen tones yes yes i do uh i'll sometimes i'll put those in my sketchbook but mostly those are just for my commissions yeah those are great like going through like do you just use an exacto knife and put them on specific shapes and shades yeah, so um, the film, they're like printed on it. It's almost like... Oh, man, so this is like old school, like Zipatone? Zipatone. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know how old school it is because, you know, they're being made in Japan and a lot of manga artists still use them. So they're new. Um, and as far as I know, they don't yellow like a lot of the stuff that from the States did. Um, but we yeah. buy it in bulk. My, I, I'm putting in an order tonight and uh, it gets shipped out to, to us from Japan. And, uh, yeah, it helps kind of add just a little bit of a pop to the image. And um, it's really fun. It makes it look really cool. Tom Coker is going to flip if he doesn't know about this already. Adding Zipatone to commissions. I, I may have just ruined his life. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to love that stuff. We used to, um, like uh, Carl Story and I, we used to, we would take Zipatone and put some of it down and then sort of do, like, gradients with, like, an X-Acto knife by scraping some of the dots off. And then we'd like take another sheet and create like a bende pattern with it, you know, sort of to get like almost these like Photoshop like gradients in places. So, um, so some of some of the pieces that we did with Zipatone are just like practically like a pound because it has so much layers of Zipatone on it. Oh, that's awesome! I do the same thing with mine. I'll scrape away to um, add some effect. 
and add some highlight. It's pretty simple. I don't do anything super fancy, but um, just to give it just a little extra, you know? Oh, man. Yeah, that's that's really cool, man. I, I didn't think anyone uh, did that stuff anymore. Um, so I oh, guess yeah. that, that oh, means yeah. that um, that most of the work that you do is uh, is on paper. Yes, everything is traditional. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't. I sometimes I get gigs with like Popular Science or something, and that's always digital because um, they're insane. You know, the magazine illustration is just crazy with the amount of edits. But um, oh yeah. Yes, it's nuts, but it feels so pure just to, you know, I, I pencil and ink on the same page. The only time that I do any sort of blue line is if I'm doing a cover. Um, so sometimes I will pencil digitally on like a cover um, and print that out and ink over that. And when I'm if I'm like really, really, really under a deadline crunch, I might do that with pages, but I try not to. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, there's something, um, and I think particularly with your style, I think um, there's a, uh, I, I think with with styles, and, and not as a pejorative, but uh, but but dirty styles benefit right from being being done on paper. You know, there's 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 something that uh, that paper adds to that organic feel. The tools aren't aren't around digitally to capture that. Yeah, and you know, I could. If I really tried, I maybe could find the digital tools and technology to make a computer look like the way my inks look now. But I'm just not willing to put that time in. And I know, like, let's say I figure that crap out and procreate. And then, you know, it's just like it, procreate is like it's outside of my control. Like, I can always ink with a stick because there's always going to be sticks. Or there's always yeah. going to be a brush, you know, like there's, a, there's that safety for me in that sense that really helps me continue to be creative and, and not get bogged down in the details. Yeah. Well, there's, there's something cool about um, like when I when I do commissions, I always do brush inking. And uh, and I think there's, there's something really cool about when you're inking with a brush, you're not saying this is exactly what I want. You're kind of saying to the brush. Well, I'm thinking this. What do you think? And the brush kind of Dude, the brush kind of jumps in and, and and gives you something that's in between what you want and what the uh, what the brush wants. And yep. and when I, I think when when you're inking like that, it's really engaging, you know, because you're kind of you're not only the artist on the stage, but you're kind of part of the audience member. Where you're like, okay, what am I going to get here? And there's there's something kind of fun about uh, about inking like that on paper. It's funny you mentioned that because I used to use like straight up like Windsor Newton Series 7. You know, I got my India ink out. I got it all ready. Got the exact right amount of water ink content to make it flow just the way I want. And I finally just got friggin' sick of setting it all up. So now I just ink with a Pentel pocket brush pen. It's like, dude, all of the lines and everything. Like I, and I know those brushes so well now. I can make it look like anything I want to. <laughs> Oh man, I, I am wow. I am on the exact I'm on the exact same tool, you know, just the uh, the Pentel because because I used to use like this you know fifty dollar like you know um, Raphael eight four zero two blah blah oh, blah eight four zero two great great brush yeah yeah Russian Kalinsky fur <laughs> you know sort of that from the tip of the tail um, yeah. brushes the uh, the Pentel brush and and it's kind of it's kind of cool because. I'll just use those brushes and then 
you know, the tip gets a little bit either split or it's not doing quite what I want. And I'm like, all right, cool. Trash. Time to get another one. <laughs> and uh, and it's, it's so much fun. You know, yeah, and, it's, and it's cheap. So cheap. I will say not every Pentel pocket brush pen is created equal. Sometimes you get some real duds. But for yeah. the most part, they're solid. And when you get a good one, that shit will last like three years. Yeah. You know, you know what's crazy is um, is – the fact that and, and, and I, I never really thought about um, thought about this until I was using the Pentel for a while. And then there's a particular piece I was doing, like the Superman piece, and I went back to using the good brush. And I didn't think about the fact that it's really annoying to have to stop and dip my brush in ink. Totally. Whereas with the Pentel, you can just get a groove going, <laughs> you know. And, you know, you, you finish the entire piece without ever having to dip your brush in ink or, or do anything crazy. And it's, um, it's kind of nice to just stay in that groove. You probably already know this, but um, I learned this pro tip from Paolo Rivera. Um, I asked him once, like, hey, you were using this Pentel pocket brush pen for really fine work. Like, how are you doing that? And the flow is so intense because you can't really control it. He goes, oh, dude, I always take um, some... Uh, paper towel with me and i just have it next to my desk and i'll just let the ink run out on the, the paper towel if it's too runny yeah yeah i'll dry it right up oh Ooh. yeah yeah <laughs> is that a game that's, changer for you that man has saved stuff, my man. life he saved yeah. my life i haven't even met him in person when i meet him i'm gonna hug him <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is it is kind of kind of bizarre how like um you know just these things have just gotten so so inexpensive, but uh, but I think for me, going back to the good brush to do that one piece was just annoying. So so now my my old brushes are kind of like museum pieces, you know, in the uh, in the studio, and, and you know, there's there's not a chance in hell that I'd go back to using those. I go back to them when I forget how good of a lover my Pentel pocket brush pen is. Yeah. <laughs> learn how good I have it and then I go running back the next day. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, baby, I didn't mean it. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh and also um, I wanted to throw a note out about um I don't know who's uh who's coloring you on this stuff. But uh Mike but Spicer, are... right? Mike friggin' Spicer. Yeah. All all three titles, right? Uh all yeah, all three titles. Well, the thing the thing that's killing me about it is um, what he's what he's doing is it's it's digital color, but he he puts that grain in there where it looks like the old yep. old school yep. blue line gouache stuff, you know, yep. and uh, and that's just that's just you know it it gives it like kind of this sort of euro kind of hoity toityness that I think is really awesome. Thanks. Yeah, he does a fantastic job. I've only given him, oh man, I, I n- almost never have to give him notes. N- almost never. He's just knows. And I don't really send him color guides either. You know, I may send him color guides for the main characters, maybe the B characters too, but that's about it. And he mostly riffs off just nothing. So uh, respect, Mike. You've saved my life so many times. Oh my God. Oh, dude, dude, there's nothing, there's nothing cooler. Like, and, and, and it's kind of like, you understand why these directors will have certain cinematographers that they'll work with all the time. And, and, and yep. to me, 
a, a good colorist is like a cinematographer, where it's just like, oh, so what you're saying is I don't have to work that hard. <laughs> you know? So, Daniel, quick question. We talked about comics. What are your favorite scenes from movies? Um, number one is the uh, famous tracking shot in Children of Men towards the end of the movie. Yeah. 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 Dude. One of the greatest. Dude, that is is sacred, man. (laughs) Totally. When when they walk the baby out and all the soldiers stop fighting, I just think, I'm not sure if there's ever, if there's been a movie moment since then watching for me that's affected me so much. It's, It's just incredible. So, and there's like a lot of, there's a lot about that movie that's really inspired me. Um, I keep going back to it. I've seen it so many times, and I'll watch it again. kind of want to watch it now. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. We got time, man. Yeah, I, one thing I love about it is, you know, the movie does not say a lot. It tells you so much, but it, it does so with visuals. Um, and when so whenever a character speaks, you learn very quickly, you really got to listen. And because it, people don't talk a lot, because, you know, people don't talk like they do in, in fiction, because nobody ever t- really talks like that. So it kind of mimics real life in that way. And it's really powerful. And I just, I don't know, nothing will ever come close. I, you know what? I shouldn't say that. Nothing has come close since watching uh, that movie. Roma came close. I think I like uh, Children of Men better still. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And and, and that, that's that's one of the things that I love is is when you get those earned moments. You know, where it's just like, okay, the... Everything that I've been watching leads me up to this moment. You know, yep. that's, 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 that's just something that's just so cool. He's an amazing filmmaker. And again, it's, I think you have a, a really sweet touch with action. What do you think are some of the best or most influential kind of action sequences? You know, there's so many. The one that's coming to my head right now is the Raid movies. Have you ever seen those? Yes. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Whoa. Wait. The first or the second? Which do you like better? Uh, the second one, especially. The vision is there in the first movie, uh-huh. but it, it's um, I don't know if it's the budget or just the tone. You know, just the action scenes never really climb to the heights that the second movie does. I mean, the second movie is nuts. I mean, yeah. it's nuts. Every yeah. part about that movie is crazy. The hammer scene. Oh, oh man. My God. Bat yeah, man, a Bat Boy man and Hammer Girl. <laughs> that is just yep. Is and then the fight, cool. the fight in a prison when the muddy yard is crazy, bro. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta watch that too. I, I've got like a coronavirus list. I, I gotta revisit. You know? <laughs> did you see? Uh, did you see John Wick three? Oh yeah. Half of those guys are in that. Half of those guys are the end bosses at the end of John Wick three. And I was like, "All right, this all comes full circle now." Yep. Oh man! Well, I, when I when I watch the um, the raid and the raid two, I, I keep getting the impression that you know it's just these guys, you know, that people are going, "Hey, you want to be a bad guy in a movie? Here's like a year supply of money for you, and this guy's gonna hit you in the head." <laughs> you know? Oh yeah! And they just they just suffer concussions, but okay, cool. You don't have to work for a year. You know, I mean, it's so painful to watch that sometimes. Well, they're, you know, they're, these guys are like pros. They just are, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. It's like real life superheroes. It's, the fact that people can move like that, just absolutely excellent. And so I will, 
study some of those scenes and figure out like what is what are they doing like what is the composition of certain shots so i'll pause those as well uh in the middle of a fight scene and figure out like okay they're about to fight each other what is the camera doing like what how much of the background are we seeing right now um is it a is it important like also, you know, using the space that they're in to highlight, like, the kind of damage that could be done, um, which I feel like is something that also could be done more in comics, is, like, people getting pushed into things or hit with things that exist around them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, your world might come full circle right now, Daniel. You know why? Why? Gareth Evans, the director of The Raid, is supposedly in the running to direct Deathstroke. No oh, way. are you kidding me? Yeah. I, I swear Seriously? to God. Yeah. His last oh. movie was Apostle, which was this weird full core movie that was on Netflix. But he's supposedly like going to take a return back to the world of action. Well, um, oh, dude, say it is. He's, he's doing like a uh, he's doing like a I think it's like a mob movie or a mob TV show or something. Gangs of London. Yeah. Yeah. He is doing that as well. Well, back to the Deathstroke rumor. I, I thought that was a while back. Is that have you heard that's back on the like development track. Oh, I think they're kind of waiting to see what's going on with the DC movies in general. But yeah, I would love to see that movie directed by Gareth. Yeah, it's been it's been floating around for a while. Yeah, I, I remember hearing about it, but I just kind of thought all that died with uh, you know, whatever the Batman or the Justice League. Right, 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 right. Yeah, fingers crossed. And uh, Daniel, this is this is a bit off sub- uh, subject, but uh, but as far. Uh, like action sequences, death of hobby in uh, extremity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. dude, <laughs> dude, <laughs> you completely brought it with that, man. I mean, that. I mean, seriously, dude, that was like a waste of so many pages. <laughs> you know, but that was that was awesome. That was like a, a really expensive, like, ice cream sandwich. Man, oh, yeah, nice. yeah. And when I told Skybound I wanted to do that, they're like, are you sure we need this many pages? And I'm like, trust me, someone has to die going out big time. Like, this needs to be a moment. <laughs> Wait, this was the scene where he gets his, his head chomped off by the hand mouth, right? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, yeah, and yeah. I mean, just, just the lead up to that, you know, I mean, that – that to me is like pure Kurosawa. You know, that was Ron. Oh yeah. You know, that was like, you know, okay, everyone's stabbing me, but I'm still fighting. (laughs) It's it's like, you can't hurt me. You can't capture me. You actually have to kill me. (laughs) That was just, that was just some great stuff, man. Thank you. I'm always pushing with, you know, editors and like, Hey, this fight scene needs breathing room. And they're always like, well, you know, we should really maybe do this. I'm like, no, no, no. This fight scene needs breathing room. This, and you know, I now, thankfully, I now have the, um, I don't know what you want to call it, street cred. I have like the people when when they say when I say I need the space, people are like, okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's because, and and I, I I equate that to a budget. You know, it's just like okay. You know, if you're going to have like three or four pages for a fight scene, that's really blowing the budget, <laughs> you know, on on that uh, on that fight scene. But I think I think, you know, if this was just like any old fight scene, you know, it probably wouldn't have been worth it. 
But um, but I think just from the first appearance of this character, it's like the character's really endearing. Um, so to see this character that's almost like the punchline go out with so much honor and then being given so much of the budget, that was just like a... And it's like I said before, that's a really earned moment right there. If I flip the page and there was one panel of a sword going through the character's head and that was it, you know, I, I would have really felt cheated, but, um, but like you, you sent him off like really nicely. I think that's, I think the big inspiration for that kind of thing is um, the, you know, the no name characters that have shown up in the original star Wars trilogy. I'm thinking of like, Oh wow. You know, the green leader guy who flies into the star destroyer. I'm thinking of like rogue leader who basically narrates the entire attack. Uh, um, uh, the Battle of Yavin, like on that first Death Star, Red Leader is like he's been basically like reading us a novel, like telling us what's happening. He's like, it didn't go in, just impacted it on the surface. He <laughs> <laughs> gets so much time, you know, like and then like Porkins, yeah, Porkins, Porkins, Porkins yeah, goes out. You really feel it because he's actually had like a f- at least two minutes. No, not two minutes. He's had a considerable amount of time where like I don't want to rag on stuff, but like like these new star Wars movies, like these rebel pilots who that die, they do not get enough time to die. <laughs> oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and those, uh, a lot of the characters that you're talking about, they, they get the slow motion debris, you know, sort of at their death, <laughs> you know? So it's just like, Oh man, man, Porkins got slow motion degree debris. That's, that's sad. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then like that random X-wing pilot in return of the Jedi, I think his name is Grizz fix. He like turns around. He's in his he's in the he's in the X-wing cockpit. He turns around as his ship is blowing up, and he just goes, "She's gonna blow!" And then he just dies. <laughs> <laughs> it is just the best thing ever. It's so awesome. It like adds this personality to an otherwise mindless battle that you you know you might have trouble getting into. And like, I feel like so many fiction things will just like center around um you know who's in the millennium falcon at the time but like yeah it yeah. really means a lot to me when like you said when people go out in a way where you can tell the creative team was like hey we care about this world and this person matters even though he only maybe got 36 well i mean and that that's the the opposite of that is the uh the gungan battle you know sort of on that boot you know where yeah. you don't care about anybody <laughs> you know it's like no, you're it's hoping like, most okay. of them die. <laughs> yeah, it's like frogs and robots. Go ahead, kill each other. <laughs> you know, it's like the stakes can't get any higher. <laughs> yeah, it's frogs like no, versus... no big deal. There's there's so many of these uh, samurai and kung fu, you know, sort of movies where they just have this like wailing operatic movie music going while the hero is just killing their way to their death. <laughs> you know, it's like. It's like the, those are always great moments in the uh, in, in the movies, and uh, and I think that you you earn that um, with the uh, with the scene with Hoppy. Thank you so much. So so Daniel, you're wrapping up issue four of Wonder Woman Dead Earth right now. So do you have anything in mind for what's around the corner? Well, I did before all of this BS happened. Oh. <laughs> um. So I was reading the room as far as where, you know, where comics have gone so far and trying to maybe 
get on board with another project before things went too far south. And um, I had a whole project lined up with Marvel. I had a miniseries lined up with Marvel. And oh wow, I got yeah, I got a call. This was to write and write and draw. Um, I got a call a few weeks ago, and you know what? They were awesome. Like they they were you know they explained everything, but they're like, hey man, it's just there's too much up in the air right now. So it wasn't necessarily a red light. It was just a very much indefinite yellow light. Um, uh, wow. So yeah, it sucks because I was like ready. I, I was like ready to roll right after Wonder Woman, go right into a Marvel project, and you know maybe tackle that. But it is what it is. Um, I totally understand. You know, Marvel was awesome. Um, so, you know, I am. Well, I guess we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will. I will say this. You know, I, I am. That is, that is the industry is saying that right now, man. Totally, totally. Um, you know, I'm going to choose to believe that people will still read comics, and I'm going to. I'm believing that my stories are worth telling. So, I'm like trying to maintain that uh, mindset, try and focus on finishing Wonder Woman, and also I uh, took a bunch of commissions with my art rep Felix comic art and we got 55 commissions. Jeez. Holy shit, dude. That is, I know you're that's, busy. That's, that's like another project, man. It's a lot, but put it this way. I like to have, I don't know, at least a few irons in the fire when it comes to trying to find out what a new project is. And, you know, the Marvel thing didn't work out. I had two other, I have two other things on the stove that are, um, I haven't really heard back yet. But they're not for sure. But what is for sure are commissions. And I don't really like to make my brand and like who I am as an artist on commissions. But man, if it's going to feed my family for a few months, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, totally. You know, the, the, you know, the nice thing is uh, it, it's, it doesn't require the mental energy that I think um, working on pages and, uh, and, you know, and writing and all that stuff does. It's, it's something that's, that's kind of – it's sort of dessert. You know, it's just kind of fun. You, know, you can just kind of jump yeah, in there and go in a row. <laughs> yeah, it's just like okay, what's this character about? What personifies that? I'm in. You know, and, and totally, that's man. It. That and that's how I love to attack commissions. You know, there's a lot of characters on this new list that you know I don't really know who they are, but honestly, I would rather draw somebody new than uh, redoing something that I've already done. Like I've drawn Darth Vader so many times, um, I'm happy <laughs> to do it again. But like I'm running out of ways for him to decapitate people. i was just gonna say this is getting me inspired now that i'm saying that i'm like what if i just had him cutting somebody in half but the insides were so well rendered that it just would take it to a new level (laughs) (laughs) i I would buy that i will i will ask for a commission of that right now (laughs) number 56 it cauterizes as it cuts (laughs) not in my version Daniel, thank you so very much for stopping by. How was your cocktail? My cocktail was amazing. Uh, my Japanese highball was fantastic. You know, I might have another one. We'll see. That was the final installment of our Daniel Warren Johnson interview. I hope you all enjoyed it. And uh, next week, we have something special for everybody. Good friend Cully Hamner will be joining us for another episode of shot by shot you know cully hamner from the red franchise with warren ellis that was turned into the great movie franchise of bruce willis also for many dc projects like blue beetle black lightning batman goes on and on really looking forward to having him next week he and brian hit it off that was definitely a conversation between two people who have known each other 
for a very long time. Yeah, they, they kind of finish each other's sentences at this point. <laughs> yeah, must be an Atlanta thing. All right, everybody, thanks so much. Thanks, see you next week.